open to Exodus chapter 18, and while you open them, let me uh, get you to imagine a scenario. Imagine being part of a congregation of two million people in a church. And I want you to imagine specifically, you're not just part of the congregation, you're part of the leadership team of that congregation. Your job, what God has appointed and anointed you to do, is help lead a church of two million men, women, and children. Now listen, just for perspective, that would be 4,000 times the size of our church. A little more perspective, that would be 77 times the population of Easton, Pennsylvania. For a little more perspective, that would be taking the entire population of the state of New Mexico and putting them right at the base of Mount Sinai and saying, here you go, here's your church, I want you to lead them into the promised land. That's the estimated size of the congregation that Moses led out of Egypt. Now listen, if you want to be particular, all right, let's be specific. Here's what the Bible really says. About 600,000 men left Egypt, but a man doesn't go far without his wife, and a wife is certainly not leaving her children. So you've got men, women, and children, and then you've got a mixed multitude. You remember that Egyptian, Israelite, blood man who blasphemed God's name and they stoned him to death? That was a man with mixed blood. A whole multitude of mixed-blooded people came out with the Israelites along with large herds and flocks of livestock. So now you've got a complex church of people that don't mix well. And you've got a lot of animals that need a lot of space and a lot of food and a lot of water. How are you going to lead what the Bible calls that congregation? Especially when you take this into account. There's one church expert, in fact, this is a prevailing statistic, that believes that for every 100 active members of a church, you need one full-time staff person. So now you take a 2 million person congregation... And you would imagine along with me that man, Mo Moses must have had an enormous leadership team in order to lead them well. Well, let's look at them. Let's start with this sort of shadowy group called the elders. They keep popping up. God says, go to the elders and give them my words that I'm giving you. And he goes to the elders because the elders represent clans and houses and they lead and they have some sort of authority. And we don't really know how many elders there are. At least we know this. At some point in Exodus, there's 70 of them. So let's just say that there's 70 elders. And so now you've got 70 people plus Moses on his leadership team of a church of 2 million. And then you hear of Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. And then you see her. Her is from Josephus, who was a jo Jewish uh, historian in Rome, first century. Her was Miriam's husband, Miriam being the sister of Aaron and Moses, her being her husband. We don't know if that's true, but it's interesting, fun to throw out. And you've got, you've got Joshua, who in Exodus chapter 17 leads Israel against the Amalekites in battle. Now, you remember the story, right? They're battling down below in the fertile region in the plains. Up on the hills overlooking them is Moses. 
And every time his, his hands are up, they're winning the battle. And when his arms get tired and they come down, they begin losing the battle. So here's her on one side and here is Aaron on the other side. And they're holding Moses' hands up while Joshua's leading the people. So now we've got 70 elders. We've got Moses. We've got Joshua. We've got Aaron. We've got her. And then we've got this lady named Miriam, the sister of Aaron, sister of Moses, whom the Bible says was a prophetess who took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang to her, she is the ladies' choir director. That was her function. So what's his leadership team? You remember, we, we think one staff person for every 100 active members, he would have a mega staff. We've seen 70 elders which kind of function as his elder group, his cabinet. We see Moses in a CEO or a lead pastor position. We see Aaron, who is his spokesman, not yet high priest. He's going to be that soon. He's not that yet. We've got Miriam, the ladies' choir director. We've got Joshua, the army chief of staff. We've got her, the special assistant to Aaron, and that was it. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been in leadership but I know you've sat under leadership, and I know you've sat under sloppy leadership, and I know you've sat under really good leadership. Can you imagine what it was like to have a church of two million people with just that for your leadership team? Would you agree with me that this team was woefully inadequate? And to make matters worse, not only did they have an inadequate size leadership team, they didn't even have a leadership strategy in place. And this is what we're going to see as we now enter the scripture in Exodus chapter 18. And we see this man named Jethro. Jethro, the priest of Midian. You know what a priest of Midian was? Midian was a little country not too far from where all of these Israelites, Israelites are camped at Mount Sinai. It's a little region. And Jethro's a priest in that region, except the Midianites didn't serve Yahweh. They served another god. Jethro's a pagan priest who happens to be the father-in-law of Moses. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of camp, and all of a sudden, making his way to the camp of Israelites, came Jethro with his daughter Zipporah, the wife of Moses, and their two little boys rejoining Moses. And Moses does to Jethro what we're supposed to do. He witnesses to him. He testifies of God's power and God's glory and God's magnificence. And Jethro responds, verse 9, he rejoiced. This is salvation language. He rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. Then he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Friends, that's testifying of faith. And then it says, Moses' father-in-law Jethro brought a burnt offering. That's faith that has come alive in service. And then it ends that Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread. That's biblical fellowship. This is the salvation of his father-in-law. How awesome is that? And then we see the next day, 
Moses gets up for his usual routine in verse 13, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And friends, if you're alert and astute this morning, which I'm sure you are, you start to see the problem. You see, Moses had a leadership style that's normally seen in a small church. I came from a small church in Marietta, Georgia. It was me and a lead pastor on an 80-person church. He, When I got there, he did all the bulletin. He did all the preaching. He ran all the board meetings. He counted all the... I mean, all of this stuff was his job to do. That's typical when you have a small church and a pastor. And the people, it says, stood around Moses while he decided cases and settled disputes. Now listen, I think I can imagine some of what he was dealing with. Here's probably, in my imagination, how Moses' day went. Moses, we went to set up our tents over there, but that family claims that they've already got that spot. Can you please mediate for us? Moses, I've got 50 sheep. They need more water. You guys are giving me 10 minutes to get all the water to them. I don't have enough time They are whittling away in the vine. Moses, please listen. The people in the next tent over, man, they stay up all night. They're party animals. I'm not getting any sleep, and we've got little ones. Please move them or move me, or I'm leaving the church. Back to Egypt where we had pots of meat. You remember that, right? Moses, I'm one of the elders, and so let me tell you what you're going to do. I love that one. Moses, I want to go straight to the top for answers. I'm not going to your elders. I'm not going to Joshua. Listen, I don't get answers from them. I'm bypassing all of that. I'm making my own my phone call. When are we getting together? Maybe, Moses, are we there yet? I don't know. That might have happened. Now, I can understand a little bit of what Moses was struggling with because after all, listen, friends, most church leaderships lead reactively, not proactively. There is a major difference. You know what that means? It's this. Most leadership responds to crises. They don't anticipate them and and format themselves around them in preparation for them. It's reactive, not proactive. And Moses is being crushed from morning until evening. And here's Jethro. By the way, Jethro's wealthy. Jethro had flocks. He had employees. Jethro was a leader in Midian. He was a priest. He had money. He knew leadership. He knew people want to go and get their answers from the top. And Jethro is absolutely alarmed. You see, Jethro knew something that Moses didn't yet know. Moses, you've got to look down the road. You can't keep your eyes right where your feet are. You gotta look down the road, and that's called vision, Moses. Vision. You see, friends, vision is the picture that forms in your mind when you understand what God wants your church to do. Moses knew the vision, by the way. It wasn't very complicated. Here's the vision. Moses, lead my people out of Egypt and lead them to the land of promise where I will dwell in your midst and I will bring glory to the nations. That was the vision. Moses, however, didn't know where the land of promise was and he didn't know how to get there. And there's more to a church than just a vision statement. Our vision statement is this, to rebuild a spiritual wall around the east end of the Lehigh Valley. 
And while the vision looks down the road and envisions the picture of what God wants to do in your midst, it will never, ever become a reality until a church develops a plan of action. And the plan of action, friends, is the mission. The mission has got to be embarked upon or you'll never see the vision and the vision will never become reality until the mission becomes activated. And our mission statement is this, simply to build strong believers in Jesus Christ as we follow Him into our community, but building them through His Word. I mean, why would you want to build believers in any other way? Do you want me to bring you empty, hollow, human philosophy from the pulpit? All it does is it excites you for an hour and you go away and you find out this doesn't work. I'm still the same today as I was last month. It's the Word of God that has transformative power. So we're building strong believers in Christ through His Word and following Him into our community. That's what it looks like, friends. That's our mission. That's what we've got to do if we're going to see the vision become a reality. But if you're like me, you're thinking, all right, what's that really mean? I mean, how do you build strong believers in Jesus Christ? Tim, where are the handholds? Where are the objectives? Where are the goals? Where are the action points? Well, about four years ago, we figured out we need action points. And here they are. There's three of them. We've got to develop leadership. And we've got to mobilize laborers. And we've got to network with Christ-centered churches and organizations. Because, friends, listen, no community, no region, no city ever came into revival from the efforts of one church alone. The church is meant to be the church Scattered and organized, all of the churches in the area linking hands together. And at our semi-annual meeting that we're going to have in just a few minutes, you're going to see and hear how we've developed a strategy to put developing leaders and mobilizing laborers into effect. But here we go, back to Israel, back to Moses. Two million people, they've got their vision, they don't have a mission, and they're not structured with a strategy to get there. And Jethro does something about it, and he does five things about it. And let's look at him in verse 14. Number one, Jethro took time to observe. I love this one. Several months ago, we had a couple come into our church, and they it was their first time, and they Right after the worship service was completed, they made a beeline right for me. And they said, hello, here's our names, and uh, this is our first time here. And listen, the music was too loud. And there's other things that we'd like to tell you that you probably should change and fix. I said, listen, let me introduce you to Pastor Jason Burson. <laughs> what I really said was this. I said, you know what, I'm so glad you came can I ask you, just, just come for a little while and get to know us. You're going to see weaknesses like you're seeing today. And you're going to see strengths. And when you observe for a while and you enjoy this, then, then come speak to me. And I want to hear these things. But this is your first time with us. They came again next weekend, beeline straight to the front. This time I told them about Pastor Tim Van Summeren. And then I said the same thing. You know what? I'm glad you're here. Get to know us a little bit, because we've got, we, I know we've got weaknesses. We've got a lot of them. And we've got some really neat things happening, too. Get to know us a little bit, and then get part of the process and make it better. Never saw them again. You've got to observe. 
Friends, you've got to observe, and as you observe, you gain wisdom. And Jethro observes Moses from morning until evening. The clear inference is a whole day goes by, and Jethro's shadowing him like your children do on Thursdays when it's shadow your dad day. And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, he asks Moses questions, and he says in verse 14, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Now let's look at that again. And this time let me draw the emphasis to what I think Jethro was doing. What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit around, sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? You see, his questions were designed to open Jethro's eyes. This is why God repeatedly from Genesis to literally Revelation asked questions. It's not that he doesn't know the answers. He's omniscient. He has all knowledge. It's in the asking of questions that all of a sudden your heart erupts to the surface. And then Jethro listened to the explanation that Moses gave, which only reinforced his questions. And he says to his father-in-law, verse 15, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Jethro is going, Moses, do you see the problem? Moses, do you see it? The ministry is all centered on you. It's like a compass that points towards north and you're north and everything depends on you. And Moses, I've got to tell you something. Ministry is only going to rise to the level of your effectiveness. And Moses, you're not that good. You see, Moses didn't know what's coming. Do you know what's coming for Israel? Let me fill it in a little bit. And a lot of people, a lot of times we miss this. They're not at Mount Sinai for a week or a month or two months. Friends, they're there for over 14 months. And it's during that time that we just got out of the series of the Ten Commandments that God gives them the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and then He gives them the civil law, how you govern your people, and then He gives them the ceremonial laws, how you become a holy people to God. And then He he gives all these laws to them, and then we see in the very next book, Leviticus. You know what Leviticus is, right? Leviticus is the book of explanation. It's the sermon series on the law. Here's what the law looks like, Moses. Teach it to your people. And for 14 months, Moses and his leadership team teach the people how to be the redeemed people of God. This is how we ought to live. We're not moving on. God's not moving us until we figure out how it is we're supposed to live under his law. And then you get to Numbers, the book of Numbers. And right at the very beginning, we see something extraordinary happen to the organization of Israel Friends, now listen, it's something incredibly similar to what we mean when we say multi-site church model. Let me explain. You see, in Israel, they were one nation made of 12 tribes. In multi-site ministry, it's one church that meets in more than one location at different worship campuses. 
In Israel, each tribe was to camp with their tents facing the tabernacle in spiritual unity. I mean, come on, get this. Two million people with all these families in their tents and every single family's tent had to be set up so that the doorway pointed to the tabernacle. So that they would be all unified, not around Moses. God was saying, Moses, let's get you out of the center and let me be in the center and let me lead the people. Let's get them around me. See, in multi-site ministry, multiple campuses all press toward the same vision, the same mission, the same worship. You go to Israel and you see that each one of those tribes, each one of them, under their own flag, their own banner, Diversity. He loves uniqueness in his people. Not every church is supposed to look alike. And in multi-site ministry, it allows for a unique context that we wouldn't clone this congregation and do exactly the same at Second Street because they're different people around Second Street. Now you've got the opportunity to contextualize ministry, and that's the brilliance and the beauty of multi-site. And in Israel, there was one remaining tribe. Listen, 12 tribes put exactly where God wanted them, around the camp, all around the tabernacle, right where God's location was that he designated. And then he says, one tribe, don't camp with them. I want you right around the tabernacle because you're going to guard my worship. And friends, in multi-siting, you've got one board made up of elders and deacons and their jobs are to guard the preaching, guard the teaching of God's Word, guard the purity of worship, guard the demonstration of faith out into the community and acts of service. That's their job, to guard that worship. In Israel, you had one leadership team under Moses and in multi-site ministry, friends, there's one staffing team that works and ministers over all and in all the campuses. And in just over a year, Moses, guess what? I never told you this, God says, but in a year you're going to need to know how, need to have a leadership structure that can handle that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine tomorrow, friends, we launch 12 campuses for worship with no leadership structure in place? You know what a train wreck that would be within a month? Moses, start now, God says, through Jethro, start building your leadership team. You've got 14 months, and I'm going to arrange them in camps, and we're going to press towards the land of promise. And guess what, Moses? When you get there, you're going to cross the Jericho, and you're going to go east into, or west into the land, and then I'm going to divide the land between the 12 tribes, and they're going to be autonomous, yet one nation, and right in the middle of them, I'm going to put my city, and I'm going to be there to dwell, and you better have leadership in place to be able to rule them and lead them. See, Jethro knows what he's talking about. And number four, he offers clear, honest feedback. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Can I tell you from a pastoral perspective, it is such a... A common trap for a pastor to get into the mindset that they can do the church alone. Come on, have you ever come from a church where the pastor was the center of everything, undeniably the controlling force in the church? Everything wrapped 
Wait, was that meaning you're here now with one? That concerned me a little. You know what it's like, a lot of you, to be in a, under a controlling pastor where everything in ministry has to keep pointing back to them. It's not fun. Even for the pastor, they just usually don't know any way else to, to lead. But it's not good for the church, and, and nobody finds effective ministry for long. So Jethro presents, number five, a new strategy for organization. And here we see it, verse 18. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. I love Jethro. I love Jethro. If I had a management consultant come into this church and tell me, Pastor Tim, you're doing everything wrong, you've got to throw it out and start from scratch, I would quit ministry. It's too big. Because I don't know how to restart from scratch. And that's not what Jethro says. Jethro's telling him, Moses, listen, you're doing the right things. You're just doing them in the wrong way. Don't change your ministry. Change the way you do ministry. There's a shift that you need to make. You've got to organize forward. And it's about team leadership. And let me show you how to do it. And here we go. Verse 21. Look for able men from among from all the people. Moses, look, open your eyes. Moses, among the people, listen, don't hire a headhunter to go to the Amalekites. You don't need to go to Egypt and find and recruit your leadership. I've got them here. God has them here, Jethro says. You just got to open your eyes and identify them. Look for able men, men and women in today's context that have abilities those who demonstrate spiritual maturity. Look what he says. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. Men who love God all the days of the week, not just Sundays, are ready to serve Him all the time, who trust God, revere God, worship God, and find men who are trustworthy. Moses, you better find some men who are reliable. You know what? Dooms ministry more than anything other than sin. You ready? I'm going to give you Tim Ackley version of a little nugget of wisdom. It's about all I have. It's what I've learned. Somebody who is a starter and not a finisher. Because everybody wants to start because the starting in ministry is exciting. And you've got so much energy in it. And people are wanting to get on board of it. But listen, what's it look like in a year? In two years, finishing well is as important as starting right. Find reliable, trustworthy men who aren't going to start your leadership today and then quit, burn out, and leave tomorrow. And find those who hate a bribe, bribe, who are filled with integrity. You know what happened to me about 12 years ago? I had a guy come into this church. Now here's the context, ready? We're growing as a church. Things are exciting. We're outgrowing this building. We're getting close to it. And we're all wondering, what are we going to do? What are we going to find? We haven't purchased Gradwall Switch yet, that property. We haven't purchased 2nd Street, obviously. This is 12 years ago. I get, a, I get a phone call from a guy that had been a few times over the course of a couple months, and he says, Tim, can I come up and talk to you? I says, sure, when? Because I'll be there in a little bit. Comes up. He says, Pastor Tim, I haven't told anybody this, but I've got a lot of money. Nobody knows this. 
But I'd like to give a pretty sizable gift to the church. Now, what do you do as a pastor when somebody says that? Oh, no thanks. God's going to provide. No! You do this! How big? This is great! God, you're moving! This is what we needed! This is our... I can't say Savior. Little less Savior. He goes, uh, between 700,000 and a million and a half. I said, oh my goodness. He leaves. I never even, can't even calculate that much money. He leaves. I go down to Pastor Dean, who had a whole lot more wisdom than me, and I said, man, somebody's gonna give us 700,000 to a million and a half. And I said, I can't, we're, we made it. We're gonna get to the promised land. He goes, really? We'll see. I hate that. It's like, pop my balloon. I found out a week later, he doesn't have any money. He wanted to be on the leadership team of our church. I'm not, I can't even make this stuff up. He thought he could buy, with no money, a leadership position. And I learned a lot at that point. Number one, don't react when you think there's going to be a gift. But number two, you've got to look for integrity. And it's never seen in the first glimpse. You've got to take it over time. And Jethro is telling him, look for able men. And then look what he says. He says, place men, such men over the people. Let them be over chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and tens. Meaning this, not everybody's got the gifting to do a thousand person leadership, but they might have the gifting to lead ten. So Moses, you've got to use discernment. Find the men and put them in the right position. And then trust them. Look what he says. Let them judge the people at all times. Moses, let go. Let it go. Let them do their job. Don't micromanage them. Trust them. And listen, if they make a mistake, so what? We all make mistakes. You can train them through it. You've got to let them go. And then he says, every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. You know what he's saying, saying, Moses, it's about teams. It's about developing teams. You can't lead in a solo model of ministry. You've got to work yourself out of a job, and you've got to work other people into them. Serve the people by putting them on teams and trust them with the ministry. And if you do this, look what he says. I love this. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. Moses, you're going to love ministry when you start doing it right. Because right now, morning to evening, you know how you go home? Listen, listen. as a counselor, I'm telling you, there's one thing that mobilizes me to energy, and there's one thing that at the same time depletes me, and it's counseling and dealing with conflict. I love it, and when I'm counseling, I'm so energetic, but then I'm all of a sudden have nothing left in the tank. This is Moses every day from morning to evening, and God's saying through Jethro, Moses, you got to restructure. you got to get a better strategy. Here it is, and when you do it and when you live it, you're going to find ministries a whole lot more enjoyable, and the people will enjoy it as well. Organizing forward is the theme was the theme of our board retreat this past january friends we came away from that board retreat listen very carefully 
with the same mission, the same vision, the same tools to put into place, but a totally different strategy. And you're going to hear about that strategy in the congregational meeting, and I would invite you to stay for that and to not only stay for of it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Moses. Lord, he is such a humble man to listen to this advice and not only to listen to it, but to put it into effect. And he did. And they were organized. And 14 months later, they were ready. And then 40 years later, they were capable. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom of Jethro. May we listen to it as well. May we be excited by it. And we see the vision, the picture that forms in our minds as we understand down the road what it is that you want to do in this church and through this church and as we see the mission what it what we've got to do the plan of action to make the vision become a reality and lord as we see the ways that we could be part of that plan lord i pray that we would be excited let us love to call this church home and be part of this family we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen